you need to be more aggressive, no less aggressive, uh, more nourishing. People like nourishing women. No, more authoritative. Uh, in your free time, you need to learn what's efficient. Are you meditating? Are you taking time for yourself? Change faster, learn faster, connect faster, 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 because you need to become better faster to make up for people who figured out they wanted to be entrepreneurs at 20. At one point you're like, listen, eh, you know, I can only be what I am. I shouldn't say that as a woman, but I'm like, you've got some nuts, okay? <laughs> you've got some nuts of steel. You've built this company. You are whatever the hell you are. Just be the best you can be and stop trying to be the best that somebody else is who has a different journey. My mother passed away when I was 23 and it was a whole shit show. I couldn't get out of bed. I felt sick, I felt weak, I couldn't move. I was just being held together with like scotch tape. Am I gonna volunteer to this stranger who's probably thinking about when they're gonna get their lunch sandwich? The most painful thing that happened to me in my life. Yeah, me changed my life. Mm. And maybe saved my life. How? Because... Quick question. When did you discover that you were a leader? That your actions matter to those that look up to you? You may be an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, innovating to change the world. Or a CEO navigating a crisis. Or a parent returning to work and learning to lead your career, your team, your children. There are many faces of leadership, and this is the podcast to explore them all. Welcome to Anatomy of a Leader with me, Maria Vorostovsky. I'm a headhunter and founder of HVO Search, where I help ambitious leaders hire their executive teams. My job today on this show is to help you discover your superpowers, to help you avoid making some of the same mistakes, and to remind you that even if you do, perfection doesn't and shouldn't exist. Thank you so much for listening. And please do subscribe and follow this podcast because it really helps others to discover these incredible stories. This show will challenge the way you think and may even change your life. Georgia, welcome to Anatomy of a Leader. Thank you for having me. So good to talk to you. Thank you. So I know we had a bit of a chat beforehand, mm -hmm. so getting like into this very intimate <laughs> details of your <laughs> yeah. life. But we haven't started with your early formative mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that. Yes, gladly. Where so did you grow up? I grew up in Italy. I was born yes. and raised in Italy. Uh, in Milan specifically, but uh, neither of my parents were actually from Milan. They met there uh, and they were very different people, are were very different people. Different um, to each other? Or different to each to other. other. Right. To each other. Yes. Um, in general, compared to other people, like very creative. It was very artsy, creative household. Um, a bit alternative, a bit like counterculture. So I wouldn't say hippies because that's the wrong time period. And but you know, like a pretty alternative household. Um, but uh, my father was from a very working class family who had moved up from Sicily to Florence, where he was born. 
and very traditional patriarchal Italian model. My grandfather worked as a taxi driver and my grandmother stayed at home, took care of the house and the kids, and they had three children. Uh, while my mother instead, she was born in the States. She was born in America. <clears throat> and uh, my grandfather had made a relative good living uh, as a businessman. He was self-made. Um, and they were very much kind of about showing their achievements. So, you know, look at my car, look at my house, look at my beautiful wife. My grandmother was very beautiful. Uh, look at, uh, you know, a, a little bit ostentatious. So lots of trophies everywhere. Yes, just like, you know, the fur. Mm. my grandmother, she used to wear like a fur coat and have that cigarette with a, <laughs> with a like Cruella, like it was like extra. And uh, unsurprisingly, that marriage made in heaven didn't work out because, you know, uh, we have my father, who is still to this day a staunch anti-capitalist, and this other family that was like all about, you know, kind of showing off. Mm. So it's like your mother rebelling maybe against that too. Yes, certainly, 100%. Um, so that was kind of the scene. And basically, if you think about it, my father, I was born when he was 30. I am in my later 30s now, and I barely feel ready to have kids. So when they split up, I was like maybe nine, I don't know. He moved out, and I didn't really see that much of him. Uh, so I was basically raised by my mother and my grandmother. And... Uh, my grandmother didn't work. My mother, you could say she was a housewife, but she wasn't a wife and she didn't take care of the house. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. So, you know, um, it was an environment where I didn't really see anybody working mm. like my entire childhood or understanding work ethic, how is money made? Where does money come from? Where does it go? Well, I know where it goes, lots of clothes and, and fancy things but um it was and also it was quite strange because when i would spend time with my father often i would feel he he would kind of make me feel guilty about certain behaviors because uh, he's like where did you learn this who taught you this you can't say that so you're kind of like in the middle of you're in the well. middle yeah. between like two completely different views of life and that was really confusing as a way to grow up. Mm. Um, and on top of that, this is Italy, right? So at the time, I mean, now we have a female PM. I thought I would never see the day. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to comment on the politics, but like, she's just, <laughs> see, she is a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, I mean, if you think the world is behind on like female empowerment or, you know, uh, Italy was behind behind. So on the TV, we had like this satire show with the news. It's called Striscia la Notizia for like the Italians. And the it was like these two uh, hosts, male, telling the news and two girls in their bikinis dancing on the table. This was like the role of the woman in Italy. We're talking the Italy of Berlusconi, bunga bunga, right? I mean, so you think... People growing up with Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon boobs, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that was, that was the world. The world is like, if you're a woman, you better be easy on the eyes and, you know, stay in your place. 
So that was kind of like, I think partially how I ended up in fashion. A little bit because around the house, like the culture exposure that I had to, nobody talked about the news. Nobody, you know, uh, my mother also had like some pretty severe mental health issues. So um, it was just, there was, there was no idea of how the world worked whatsoever. Um, and I was like, okay, it makes sense. You know, Italy is fashion. I'm very creative. Uh, the surface is everything that matters. Uh, I'm going to st- go to fashion school. And that's what I did. Um, I went first uh, to Fashion Institute of Technology and then to the Antwerp Academy in Belgium. And uh, one day I was coming back from a fabric run. Uh, I think at the time we didn't even have Facebook on our phones. And uh, I got uh, to the atelier where I was working with other students and I opened my laptop uh, and on my Facebook it was like, uh, hi, Georgia, I'm so-and-so the assistant of Dr. This and that. I'm sorry to inform you that your mother passed away this morning. And that is like where like the world kind of stopped for me. Um, and you know, I had to like the next day. I went back to Italy and I didn't go back. Like uh, also at the time, my grandmother was 84 and she uh, had had a stroke a few years earlier, so she was in a in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So I had to become her uh, power of attorney at 23, 24. Um, And so there I am. I don't know anything about anything. My only skill set is drawing clothes at this point. And I'm, you know, uh, back in Italy managing a succession. I have to be power attorney for a disabled elderly lady, uh, you know. I don't know how to handle money. And also the fact is like my grandfather had died in 1999 and my uh, mother and grandmother had burned through most of the money that was there. Uh, But we still owned my childhood home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I sold the house because I didn't know. My grandmother could have lived another 10 years. I mean, I, I had to make sure that we could support ourselves. So then I, I was just like, okay, what, what am I going to do, you know? How was that decision, just going back to the house, how was that decision for you to make that, I mean, to sell your childhood home? I, you know, it's it's funny. If you think about, uh, I, I'm not going to, uh, sometimes I feel like with uh, with my mother and her mental problems, it's almost like fetishizing if I tell too much about it. But if you imagine uh, Miss Havisham from Great Expectations... Uh, and you can look at her up. Um, like that house was cursed. Like I, I did not. I didn't care. I was. So you I were not like, attached to it. No. Yeah. It was like. Let it shed, go. I shed. I shed. I shed it. I didn't sell it. I shed it. It's like good riddance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And so then. One thing that happened in that moment is I couldn't draw a piece of clothing anymore because you're there, you're 23, and you're like, what, are we playing with the dolls? Like, I've got other problems. Like, it was just like, my entire education that I had spent building up suddenly was useless Mm -hmm. because I was like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, how can you draw a skirt? 
and be like, yeah, I'm going to be a designer. So it felt very frivolous to you at that point. Yes, yeah. yes. I just couldn't. And, and I think this like visceral reaction towards this kind of environment is something that I still struggle with today. Like when things feel too frivolous, sometimes I, I'm just, I get, I get like a, you know, like a knee jerk reaction mm, against mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the, the only thing I could do, it's almost like I was like a, a meme of, you know, when you see like the little penguin with a briefcase and a hat, like going to where I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. Cause mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, this example of the woman who thinks it's glamorous to not work doesn't work. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to just get my head down and work. This is what I need to do. But I didn't know anything about anything. So I, I got a job uh, as a product developer in fashion, which was kind of adjacent to, to my knowledge. And uh, that's how I ended up at Versace. Uh, where I was kind of a product developer there for several years. And uh, it was my last job before I uh, decided to pursue an MBA. Talking about a major life event, especially Mm. being the age that you were, 23, which is just a couple of years older than my brother and sister were when Mm. they lost our mum. And like even for me, I was, how old was I? I was just like in my early 30s. And I didn't realize it in that specific year. It happened a year later. It's like all of a sudden, it's like you are an adult. And like to be catapulted into adulthood at 23, having to have so much responsibility and almost like removing that veil of, you know, the fur coats, the Mm -hmm. the cars, the, you know, long cigarettes, the, you know, this kind of like, all of that just kind of coming crashing down it's like what does it all mean and yeah being having to step into an adult shoes almost instantly yeah and I mean to be honest I don't think that happened it was like pretending right because you're like fake it till you make it so um, when you're saying so what 23 you felt that you were faking it or well no it's more like you okay you're in this situation you've got things that you need to deal with you can't just topple over and like you know let it wash over you so what i did i was like okay you know let's plan the funeral let's do this like get on with it mm-hmm. like at, at some point the, the 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 mentality which i still have to some extent this day is like all right what do you want a medal like let's go mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh and so the strange thing is now when I look back, the first few years, I don't really remember much. Yeah. I think my brain was just not working properly. I remember having excessively intimate conversations with people or being excessively pushing people away, just acting really strange uh, and doing things that didn't make sense because I think I was just trying to figure out, out. Like, I think sometimes when it's such a big and emotionally like explosive moment um I mean everyone deals differently with grief but like I can talk about it from my own perspective like this almost like you shut yourself off from that event and almost like yes it's happened but let's be practical about it and you're talking about like arranging the funeral mm-hmm. having to deal with the paperwork mm-hmm. having to make decisions selling your house mm-hmm. like 
I basically went through the same thing because it was like, oh, who's going to arrange the funeral? I have to do it. And like, then I've got my younger brother and sister. Like, we need to figure out everything. And it's like all of this on you Mm -hmm. and just to get through it Mm -hmm. you just need to be like one by one Mm -hmm. and I'm curious because I mean I it took me took me one year Mm -hmm. of doing this like excessive work Mm -hmm. we're talking about like let's just be practical let's work our way out of this pain Mm -hmm. it took exactly the same approach and started another company you know took on so much Mm -hmm. responsibility Mm -hmm. that a year and it was because she passed away on new year's eve that first christmas without her i was just like exploding all over the place so it took me a year to even just get to that intense pain Mm -hmm. to finally feel it and i know everyone's timelines is different what was that like for you? For me, it was much longer. Uh, for me, the timeline, so I was 23. The year I went to my MBA, I was 30. Um, the summer before going to the MBA is when I almost fell apart. So mm. I put my head down for a good part of seven years and didn't take it up. And then there came a moment where I was, I'll I'll step a little bit back into kind of the the career to explain it, but um, I had this job, I was doing really well, and I kind of realized that there was kind of a glass ceiling. You could say on top of me, you know, I was looking at my boss, who was a woman, my boss's boss was a woman. And then there was like the suits with the floor, uh, sorry, the, the floor with the suits. Um, and they were all men. Mm-hmm. And there was like the boss, the boss was CCO and he was a man. And I thought to myself, do I want her job? Do I want her job? Do I want his job? And I was like, I want his job. So what do I have to do to get that job? I was like, you have to learn about business. Um, and it wasn't just about that. I also kind of felt like I was culturally stalled, like my brain was bored. Uh, fashion is cyclical. So once you figured out the cycle and I had, I was managing menswear and women's wear, uh, pre-collection and main. So eight collections a year. And after a while I was like, all right, is that all there is? Like what's next? Mm-hmm. I was taking Mandarin classes outside of work just to feel like my brain wasn't, you know, kind of shriveling away. Um, Anyway, so I applied for this MBA. I didn't tell anyone. This is like one of the, my bad habits is when I'm doing something important, I don't tell anyone about it. Um, I didn't tell my family, my dad. uh, I didn't tell my friends. uh, I didn't tell my work. I didn't tell anyone. And I got into... Uh, London Business School, and when I realized that I was moving to London, changing my life, um, I'd achieved something I was proud of, then it's almost like I took a breath, and then like I fell apart mm-hmm. completely. I almost didn't go to business school, because like that summer, I was just like, it was, it was very physical, like I couldn't get out of bed, I felt sick. I felt weak. I couldn't move. Like I went to like every possible doctor, be like, what's going on? And then 
you know, a therapist was like, I think, you know, you just kind of let go for the first time in so long mm -hmm. and this is what's happening to you. And at the end of the day, I basically, I was still not feeling good when I decided to go to London, but I was like, either I lose this opportunity that I worked for or I don't. So if I'm going to feel like shit, I'm going to do it in a classroom at London Business School. And then I got there and I felt better. Mm. What do you think was the reason why you felt actually you were okay after that? I think it was because one thing is to have that moment where you let yourself stop after so long. And, you know, there's like this break. It's almost like you've been, you've been, you know, pulling this rope for all this time. And now there's a break in the rope and like everything. And the other thing is then to pick up the new end. Mm. and kind of say okay this is a new rope but for a moment there I was in the middle and you're like at home and you're wallowing and you're trying and you're just like there you know in your own stew of everything and I think getting out there and actually picking up the next piece of the rope mm -hmm. is what pulled me out of it how long did you give yourself that middle wallowing moment Oh, I didn't want to give myself any, but I had to. But how long did your um, body make you have? It was, uh, I think it was about six months. Yeah. And what did you do during that time? Spent too much money on doctors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Spent a lot of uh, time in bed. It was dark. It was just like nothing. The answer is I did nothing. I did nothing. Um... I couldn't do anything. Um, yeah. It's interesting you say that because I did this retreat in January mm. that my husband got for me three days in a cabin by myself. And this was just all about not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So embracing idleness about, mm -hmm. you know, being present and with whatever's going on in your mind and I read lots of books and one of the books was called do nothing mm -hmm. and actually all of the books during the time I read were talking about the same concept about how in our modern world which is like it's the next thing next thing you know just you know like you you just never have enough time to like catch up with what's going on mm -hmm. in, in your brain and actually the way our brain is designed is that we need to give ourselves those periods of of rest mm -hmm. and I feel like when I, again, I'm speaking from my own perspective, like I very rarely give myself those moments. And like when my mom passed away, it was like, that's it. I need to like, I need to outwork this and not give any periods. And I think it was in one of the books that said, if you don't make time for health, your body will make time for illness. Yes. And it's almost like your body knows when you've just simply had too much. And this is the time that you actually need to, to stop. Yeah, I think that's what happened, mm -hmm. to be honest. And, you know, I, I don't... At the time, I also, like, I didn't have the emotional maturity to understand. I mean, I... I for some reason, I, I there's a side of me that's, like, very, you know, just get on with it. And I didn't even go to therapy, like, for in none of that time. Um... So I had no instrument. I had dealt with it completely on my own, like, you know, on my own. And 
I think I was just being held together with like scotch tape and, mm-hmm. you know, little <laughs> thumbtacks or whatever. And then yeah. the whole thing just kind of fell over. But I was very lucky because, um, and, you know, for everybody, everybody will go or do an MBA for different reasons. And maybe it could have been a trip to Bali or, you know, it could have been something else. It could have been anything. Um, but for me, it was the MBA and the MBA changed my life. Mm. and maybe saved my life in, in many different ways. How? Because I feel like I grew up in a world that was shel- super sheltered, but also very painful. And when I went to London Business School, I met all these amazing, brilliant, driven like interesting people who were also most of them, not all of them, most of them are there to change something about their life. And for me, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was in a room of people like me. Amazing. Mm. Like you found your tribe. Yes, really like I find my tribe. Mm. Because, you know, in Italy, like I, I grew up with uh, my mother uh, be, being American, whatever. She, you know, she wasn't really American. She was only born there. But, you know, my grandmother, Russian, uh, going to like, ni- my grandparents sending me to like nice private schools, but at the same time, like having a voice in my ear all the time being like, oh, this, uh, the little man never wins, you know, kind of the side of my father. It's like having, you know. Che Guevara on one side and the crazy, you know. <laughs> it was, and, and I was always in school, like, I, I do not belong here, mm-hmm. you know. And at work, you know, you don't fit in with the Italians, but you don't fit in with the foreign people. And then I came to London and to the end, you know, there's full of people that are mixed kind of mm-hmm. background uh, with the unconventional careers in some cases. And uh, everybody's trying to maybe people who felt like they put their heads down for a reason or another for seven years, eight years, 10 years. And then one day they looked up and they were like, Oh, I don't want to actually, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And it was amazing. Doing an MBA. It's like, it's such an important moment in time to realize that you fit in somewhere because Mm -hmm. you know, your whole life you're like, well, my mom's side of the family, Mm. it's like, you know, gregarious, you know, Mm. sending lots of money, Mm. but I don't actually know how to, earn it mm. and then on the other side you've got well never gonna have any money anyway so mm. what's the point of even trying literally and how do you bridge the two because it's like well there has to be something else because neither way is the right way and especially when they're absolutely between themselves absolutely so it's almost like well i don't want any of this like i want to have literally. my own path and i feel like that's the formative experience for you and all of a sudden it's like wait a second there is a place in the world that has people like me mm-hmm. or elements of, you know, what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn during that time? <laughs> Not a lot, but wait, <laughs> but wait, okay. but wait, I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, so when I got there, it was overwhelming because I'm seeing people who want to change their life but most backgrounds are finance consulting engineering or some sort of business 
So I still felt, you know, like completely out of uh, my comfort zone from, from the point of view of understanding the information that was being delivered to me. So for me, the experience was more just being in the room, osmosis. So be in the room with brilliant people, always be the less smart person in the room, kind of like, just like, look at how they go about things. Um, and then learn a process. So if you tell me, tell me one fact you learned in the classroom, I can say, I can't remember, honestly. But what I did learn is that with the right process, I can acquire the knowledge that I want when I want it. And I have a network of people who can potentially help me do it. Um, and that's honestly what the MBA was for, for me. Um, and also a little bit having a second chance at youth. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really have this playful time where you're just like careless. I mean, even before my mother passed away, like it was tough, like being in the house with her was tough, tough. Um, so, you know, I got a chance to, to play. Uh, and I feel like having that chance uh, in your early 30s is even better because you, ha you have a little bit more brains to, to, to you know, but, but uh, yeah, I had a chance to enjoy myself, to, to experiment, to be like, I want to learn this. No, I want to learn this. No, I want to be interested in this. I want to speak to this person. I want to discover. Um, and it was amazing. Like, it was like getting, you know, like a... Uh, to your brain, you know, when uh, you're reanimating, what, what do you called? call it? Um, the defibrillation. The the <laughs> it was like a defibrillator yeah. to the brain. Yeah. I mean, it was the, uh, and no, the facts, like if you want to, I didn't even know I'm go I was going to start a company, which is another like faux pas, because uh, I didn't follow all the entrepreneurship courses, the, the accelerator, incubator inside of the school, which would have been incredibly useful looking back. I was just absorbing. I was like a sponge. I was just like, what's this? What's that? What, what the? I didn't even know what the word VC meant until my second year in the MBA, until I was 31, okay? Like, I was just, you know, taking everything in. Mm -hmm. It was a whole new world for you. It was, it was. And, uh, and I feel incredibly, incredibly fortunate mm -hmm. that I was able to do that. It's so interesting you say those three things. So learning the process mm. of how to figure something out. The second one was network mm -hmm. and play. And I feel like these are literally the most important lessons you have. I mean, especially living in our world of AI and technology, mm -hmm. you don't need to retain information. Mm -hmm. You need to know how to get to it mm -hmm. and you need to know how to use it and manipulate it. Yeah. And then the relationships and the people that you meet along the way is critical it's like it's not what you know it's who you know mm -hmm. who are going to help you along the way mm -hmm. and then the essence of play and we were just talking mm -hmm. about this earlier as well where it's like you know being an entrepreneur you're so you know coming from the background that you've had like having mm -hmm. to be responsible at such mm -hmm. a young age and having to have so much on your shoulders that you have to be practical that you don't even allow yourself to just be like oh you know just 
be frivolous mm-hmm. maybe like exactly. your grandmother maybe exactly. it's like oh I can't do that because that's danger mm-hmm. and actually accepting that's something that is useful in your role and that's creativity and mm-hmm. humanness mm-hmm. so yeah I think for me it's something that's incredibly incredibly important is to not take yourself too seriously uh, especially something that working in the fashion industry you'll see that you know if there's the button missing in the right color two days before the show it's gonna be like you know this is like oh the world is going to end it's a disaster, it's a disaster. Yeah. and um and i think for me i'm potentially i don't think i'm frivolous but i've always been really kind of i love joking having a laugh being silly and to me that is the thing that I will defend most aggressively about my my life. Mm-hmm. Like, if you try to take away my playfulness and my ability to have a laugh and make a joke and, and be spirited, like, I'm going to defend it <laughs> with everything. With your life. Yes, <laughs> indeed, mm-hmm. indeed. I mean, that's probably how the first thing that attracted uh, me to my husband, you know, like was a playful personality. Because mm. if I know that you can make me laugh, well, obviously you need to have, you need to be responsible and everything, but, you know. <laughs> not just one thing. Yeah, it's not just like <laughs> yeah. the circus, but, uh, but you know, um, laughter is incredibly, incredibly important to me in my life. This idea of vulnerability mm-hmm. that you felt like you didn't want to share the story mm. of what happened to you mm. and dealing with grief mm. um, because there wasn't this sort of big moment of comeuppance or victory over it and it's like almost what's the point of, of sharing that and I as I said to you like mm-hmm. I highly disagree mm. because it's the moments when you're going through it of being not only present with what's going on but also sharing the fact that you know you can be a really smart creative mm-hmm. person and still be impacted mm-hmm. by the things that happen to you and and I feel like that's such an important thing to share I don't talk about it most of the time there's probably people who have been friends of mine for years who don't know the whole the whole story mm-hmm. um I just don't bring it up because uh, it makes people uncomfortable. Then you have to get that look when they go like, huh, and you're just like, it's all right. And mm-hmm. then you have to make them feel better. <laughs> um, yes. But then, and then it's just uncomfortable. But the times when I've been tempted was when I wanted to justify why I've come to certain things slower. And those are the times when you have an interview or you're you're presenting to someone and you're like, I can explain. When you say slower, what do you mean? Well, I feel like, you know, you, you look at my background, and you're like, oh, what is this? Fashion school, then, pro, uh, you know, fashion uh, pro- project, product management, then an MBA, then a startup. It's just like uh, people look for pedigree, you know, Mm. like if you're an ambitious person who wants to become something, which I am, I already am something, (laughs) but you know, like I'm ambitious, like Mm. I want to go places Mm -hmm. and then you walk up with that CV, like 
I'm not silly. I know what it looks like. It looks like nothing. <laughs> so sometimes you just want to be like, I can explain. But then you're like, am I going to volunteer to this stranger who's probably thinking about when they're going to get their lunch sandwich? Like the, the, the most painful thing that happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and then what happens if you fail? How dirty are you going to fe- feel about having used that? About having tried to use that as a as a justification of some sort. So I kind of, there was a long time where I made peace with myself that I was like, this is not, this is not a card that you can pull out. Um, you just gotta get on, get on with it. Mm. And, and I'm just thinking of like my own family and having to deal with the death and how, you don't want it to be something that defines you. Mm-hmm. And also, as you said, it's such a painful moment. It's mm-hmm. a painful moment in your life. And like having to talk about it to somebody who might be just like so dismissive, like mm-hmm. doesn't even have the time because they're just looking at their lunch and mm-hmm. wondering when it's going to mm-hmm. be their break. But at the same time, it's less about how other people perceive you mm-hmm. and more about the impact that it's had on you because, you know, it's not an excuse. It's not mm-hmm. it was like, oh, look, you know, this happened to me and this is the reason why I'm behind. It had a significant m- impact on you and it has shaped you in considerable ways, <laughs> which is neither good nor bad. It just is. Yeah, I could, I could put a bullet point in my CV, like planned two funerals by the age of 25. The canapes at the second one were far better and I increased turnout by 20%. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just, you know, I, everybody's got pain. I just, uh, I'm still not convinced I know you're trying to tell me that it's important to share, but I'm still, I'm still not entirely sure that I feel like there's a bit of a oversharing epidemic and maybe I'm just a bit old fashioned (laughs) (laughs) and maybe I'm just not there yet. Maybe Mm. I'm just not there yet and that's okay. I know what you mean. I think everyone takes in stages and as I said you know my mom passed away seven years Mm -hmm. ago and I only really feel like I'm only scratching the surface of grief now and having kids turning 40 really reviewing what does your life mean and all this like past traumas not just of the death itself Mm -hmm. because obviously it's a very traumatic experience but also the relationship that you had Mm -hmm. and maybe something that's not resolved Mm -hmm. or some grievances that you have with these people and you know you have as i said to you before just like having to like tie up all the things Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know trying to deal with it by yourself rather than having that person Mm -hmm. and i feel like as you growing older and all of the experiences that you're having Mm. are going to continue to be seen through that lens somehow and part of the reason for not wanting to talk about Mm. it is because in our world now, there's so few people that have actually gone through this, mm. I feel, because, you know, people live longer, you know, I don't know, I have been to, been to three funerals mm. in my life, mm. and two were my mom and my stepfather, mm. and 
but that's it. So it's like you don't really know how to deal with it or how to continue to live with it. And those who haven't gone through it, I think it's very hard to mm. to see it. Yeah. I mean, maybe I think that's that's the that's the difference that in my experience, you know, uh, I had uh, a long-term boyfriend when I was in uh, kind of high school. We were together for like four, f- four or five years. So like high school boyfriend. And one day his uh, dad, uh, you know, his stomach was hurting. And three months later, he was dead of pancreatic cancer. That was even before my mother passed away. Um, then there was my mother, then my grandmother, and then my other grandparents. So my only direct relative at the moment that I have is my father. Um, and to me, it's just like, well, yeah, everybody, it happens to everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, been, I've seen at least like, you know, there are like several and also my boyfriend in school. Like, it just feels to me like, you know, if, if we all have to let this stop us, we're just not going to go anywhere. So does it then have the opposite effect where you think, well, I'm going to die one day, so I might as well just do something really meaningful and go for it? For me, there's been situations where there is people who had a little blip of like, I don't feel so good or something happened. And then there was never a happy ending. Like, you know, sometimes people... someone I know had breast cancer and then they got therapy and then they got better. None of the stories that I was involved in went that way. So there's definitely like a a bit of fatalism in my way of thinking that is drawn by experience. Um, But the way that I approach it is just that I, like I said before, I aggressively enjoy (laughs) every day because I'm just like, you know, you you don't know what can happen. So for me to say that the mission in my life is to um, achieve something, maybe I can rephrase that to have something to look forward to achieving. So always be pulling that rope and like finding new things that excite you, that uh, make you passionate, that um, make your brain feel like it's getting the defibrillator. Mm. Uh, But also be mindful of the present because you don't want to like lose yourself in the future and realize that you haven't looked at where you are right now. Mm. One of the things you were saying earlier is just losing the filter. Mm. And more recently, and I can't remember what the time frame mm. that you said, just being like, you know what, this is me mm. and whatever happens, mm. like as long as I was genuinely myself, mm. then even if it's a failure, it didn't go to mm-hmm. how I wanted to be. At least it came from, you know, a place of this is how I am. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. So uh, I think, I mean, that's a little bit connected to the whole background story that I told you, but I think um, in running this company, uh, which, yeah, wipe. Um, I I have, we started not super, like a little bit after the graduating um, at the MBA. And at first I started on my own. And again, it was like a little bit like starting over. So you don't know anyone. You don't have any local network. You don't know anything. 
And my approach has always been with this kind of things. Okay, you can get your head down and work. Um, and, and it's going to be okay. Um, and I, it took me too long to realize that actually with startups, it's all about who, you know, um, so the, I think there was a kind of like a, a, a moment of understanding that it's like, if you don't know the right people and the right people are not always power you know powerful people it's people who are who have done it before people who can give you advice people who can give you support um uh, people who are just going to be nice to you and treat you like a person because once you associate yourself to a company you very much depersonalize yourself and have to present yourself as you know a vessel for the company um and a lot of times people treat you and the company as it's one thing so if they don't like the company they don't like you and the moment when I realized that I needed to, to, to put myself out there, to, to, to connect and kind of expand my roots into uh, a network of people, uh, that's when kind of the identity issues started happening. And for me to be like, I need to be more like this. What are the successful people reading? What are they saying? How are they talking? What is their background? Oh my God, uh, my background doesn't match. What am I going to do? How can I do it? And you know, you're, you're, you feel like, I mean, you've got kids. I don't know if you've seen Toy Story 3. I haven't. It's like this character Forky that's like a plastic fork with oh, googly eyes seen on the character, it. Yes. All right, and you almost feel like you're Forky, and and you're sitting on a, a whole thing of Wedgwood lined up, and you're like, you know, <laughs> trying to, and but also trying to look like a Wedgwood. You're like, I'm also, uh, you know, and um, and I think I was. Snowballing towards a burnout last year because I was like, you need to, um, you need to know everyone. You need to reach out. You need to run the business. You need to be more aggressive, no less aggressive, uh, more kind of nourishing. People like nourishing women. No, more authoritative. Uh, in your free time, you need to learn what's efficient. Are you meditating? Are you taking time for yourself? You don't have time. And at one point, I was just thrashing. I'm getting anxious just like, listening to you saying all these things. Like, 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 yeah. You know, change faster, learn faster, connect faster, 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 because you need to become better faster to make up for people who figured out they wanted to be entrepreneurs at 20. You know what I mean? Or 25. Or people who have a relevant background or anything. Just like make up for all the time, all at once. It's all on you. And, and I was, you know, making a big mistake of pushing myself into uh, a burnout. And then it was almost like this uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, you know, the story about the fish and the water. So there's two uh, young fish passing by and then an older fish swims the opposite direction goes like hey kids how's the water and they keep on swimming and then one of them goes to the other what's water and the whole point is like sometimes you're in something and you don't even know like i had to just be like uh 
I was like, ah, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. This is who you are. This is what you've done. I know I shouldn't say that other woman, but I'm like, you've got some nuts, okay? <laughs> you've got some nuts of steel. You've built this company. You are whatever the hell you are. Just be the best you can be and stop trying to be the best that somebody else is who has a different journey. Swim in your lane. Continue yeah. that swimming analogy. Was there a specific moment when you were like, no, this is, this is just not working. I have to do something else. <laughs> yes, I can, t- I can tell you. Um, I was, uh, so it was like super busy and we had planned to go to New Zealand because um, Ellie hadn't seen his mother in three years. That was last year and hasn't hadn't been home and we had our tickets and then the day before I was like Ellie I can't go we have to go on your own like I need to be here if you want to have any chance of enjoying this trip I'm going to stay on the ground and you go and the two weeks were like the most busy thing and at the same time I had done myself touching I found a lump in my breast and then I went to the GP and the GP was like do you want me to once I push the trigger like you're gonna get contacted for um an appointment and uh I was like I don't have time I'll call you back to a thing and now I'm like what the like you know um so then I I let two weeks go by because I was too busy um before I went back and I was like, okay, can you set up the appointment? And then finally I went to the appointment. And I was like, oh, they're just going to do like a, the thing, the gel, what do you call it? Uh, uh, an ultrasound. Yes, that's right. And they're going to let me go. And then the guy does the ultrasound and he's like, hi, oh, it looks like I'm going to have to do a biopsy. And I was like, what, now? He's like, yeah. And so he takes out like this long kind of thing. And he's like, with like a little... And he goes like, oh, it makes a really loud sound, but don't worry. And so then I was lying down with like this guy stabbing me in my boob, looking at the ceiling. And I thought this would make for a great LinkedIn post. (laughs) (laughs) Priorities. And then then I was like, what have you become? (laughs) And that was almost the moment when I was like, that's it that's it like we're gonna start over we're gonna like um kind of uh ellie and i sat down we talked about our priorities we organized like all of our thoughts we shared our feedback to each other about like things that we thought we could do to run the company better like strengths weaknesses organizing our time um, we decided to take a week off at, uh, at the, uh, it was like after the 1st of January, cause we hadn't planned any vacation. Cause I was like, we can't go on vacation. It's like, we're taking a week off. Mm-hmm. Um, we, these are our priorities and some things that are stressing us out that, you know, we, you can't change, especially your past or yourself or your profile. We're just going to say like, I think we're pretty good. Like what we've done is pretty good. 
like stop beating yourself up for not being you know a hundred percent better and just be one percent better this is like a super businessy book you know be that one percent better and what you've done so far is already pretty fucking amazing and that was kind of like i think that was the first time since forever that i felt like you're pretty badass and and that's been feeling really good to just recognize myself and be like so each time your body is like no 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 georgia (laughs) stop now Uh, the biopsy was fine by the way but but what i'm saying it's almost like your body is like sending you these like little trigger saying stop Mm -hmm. reflect like pull back you don't have to be like fully 100 percent like Mm -hmm. go productive Mm -hmm. like doing all these things all the time you can reflect get your brain to think and actually take stock of the things that you have achieved and Mm -hmm. feel that yes you are doing everything that you can and you are good at what you're doing Mm -hmm. having gone through trauma it really activates a fight or flight quite a lot Mm -hmm. And I know that in myself, like when things are not going quite well, Mm. or if I get really stressed, I don't really notice, but there comes a moment where it's like, you're acting almost out of fear. And it's like this more faster, Mm -hmm. let's just do one more thing. It's like, oh, I've got one more hour. Mm. How much stuff can I squeeze Mm. into it? And it actually doesn't come from a place of like, yes, I want to be successful. It comes for me, it comes from a place of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough or there is some sort of pain but I haven't quite consciously sort of connected with it and your body's quite clever when it just knows yeah. how to like rein you in yeah I think it's 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 a, uh, a partnership of body and mind like in a way if you take a musical instrument and you play it or you bash it against the wall it's still gonna make a sound right <laughs> yes so I think it's a bit the difference between bashing yourself against the wall or recognizing that you can, to an extent, within the realm of your control and your abilities, you can play this instrument. And I think that's the difference of just stop bashing and like take control. Let it play yeah play Play it yeah play it play it talking about bodies Mm. and obviously talking about one taboo subject Mm. talking about you know grief and trauma Mm. and your business is also in business Mm -hmm. of tackling something that people do not want to talk about Mm -hmm. and that's obviously something that is a challenge for you but also something that i feel like you're handling it so well Mm. in terms of your messaging and your campaigns Mm -hmm. but talk to me about wipe where did it come from and what problem are you solving so um the problem that i'm solving essentially wipe is an eco-friendly wet wipe alternative that boosts toilet paper so it's kind of a, a gel formula natural and organic ingredients that can be applied to toilet tissue and it provides additional moisture but also soothing properties to have a different experience in rectal cleaning 
Um, and the reason why I came up with this company and the, the product is a few. So the first one is because I'm Italian. I grew up with a bidet in my house. Um, Italy is not the only culture that uh, uses kind of water-based additional cleansing methods. Of course, uh, all Muslims and Indians and Japanese and whatever else. Uh, and then I came to the UK and, you know, I was in a small rental. The bathroom was like this big um, and, you know, I was feeling uncomfortable um, and just like not really at ease. And when I finished my MBA, I thought this emotion that I feel of discomfort is small but significant. Like the same as like if you think you have bad breath, right? But also I had seen in the news that this kind of fatbergs, which are congealed masses of uh, wet wipes and household oils were forming in sewers. And there was like all this wet wipe pollution on the beaches. And what is clear about how these wet wipes get in these places is because they've been flushed down the toilet. So they entered the waterways somehow. And my intuition was, I believe, I have the feeling that adults are using wet wipes on themselves. And so that there is an unmet demand for this person who is looking for a different experience when they clean up. And that essentially for me, and that was like in the middle of the Attenborough effect. So like everybody was thinking about sustainability and I was like, okay, I finished an MBA. I have a personal problem that I understand, which is that I don't feel clean with the tools that are available to me right now. And an environmental issue, which is people are flushing plastic, single use, you know, things down the toilet and damaging their own pipes and toilets the sewers, and then washing out on coastlines and beach beaches. I was like, it's perfect. And what I thought was so genius about it is, not so genius about it, but like, that was interesting is that it's such a taboo topic. And I thought this is like so ripe for disruption, which is like the, you know, hot words uh, for the startups. I was like, Look at what is available on this market. It's either super medically sounding and like boring and a bit, you know, like you're sick mm. or it's, you know, puppies and cartoons animals. I'm like, who is this speaking to? Like, we are so afraid of offending the non-user that we speak. We don't speak to the user about what their concern and their need and why they're there. I get it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying you have to be like for cleaning your ass necessarily like on the thing, but to be like, you have different needs. Um, so I, I thought it was, this is so fascinating. The, the public is ready. I, I, I was like, it's, it's just, it's one of those stigmas that I think is like so ready to, to be played around with, to have fun with. Uh, plus, there were like a few brands emerging in the States that were doing similar things. So, you know, I have some market validation. And that's how we started working on Wipe. Uh, what I did not have, the idea that I thought it was so amusing to play around with a taboo, that it was not going to be that easy elsewhere. Um, and the interesting thing is, you know, 
as soon as we put our first iteration of the product on the market that we had just like put it together, you know, the cheapest possible way, it started selling. So I kept having that validation that there was a need for this product. And I still do. But when you're trying to tell the story of the product to somebody who by happenstance doesn't identify with that need, it's like barrier down and it's really, really tough to have that conversation. How do you deal with that? So one of the tools, you said you like our campaigns, one of the tools that, and I was reading uh, while we were working on launching the, um, the, the company was I was reading books about kind of, uh, or articles about habits, not atomic habits, another book called The Power of Habit mm -hmm. um, and how habits are formed and about taboos as well. And one of the things that I found is that laughter is uh, a very good way of tearing down barriers around certain, certain subject matters. So instead of kind of having a, a science-y, preachy, educational tone, I thought, let's have some banter, which, by the way, is one of my favorite words in the English language, <laughs> because there is no such word in Italian and has, like, banter. Uh, it could mean anything, right? Like, you could drop your key in the hole between the elevator and the print and be like, banter. Like, But anyway, I was like, we can bring banter to a topic that is conventionally uh, perceived as uncomfortable and make people feel good either about wanting it or about needing it. Because our, if we had to separate our main customers into two groups, it would be people who want it or people who need it. Mm. And in both cases, you want to give them the the not the freedom but the given the possibility to feel like they're not buying something stigmatized mm -hmm. um so i think laughter for us has been a really kind of a big tool to be like we're not laughing at you we're laughing with you we all do it we've all had that time after you know a spicy food like you know obama poops uh, you know, David Attenborough again. Who doesn't? Like, literally, think of anyone on this planet mm -hmm. that you admire and who you highly respect. This person has sat on the toilet in the last, hopefully for them, 24 hours and done it. So it's like to, to, to open the conversation and let people who maybe have a need or have a want be like, yes, you know what? I want something extra and there's nothing wrong with that because only 30% of the world uses primarily toilet paper, mm -hmm. you know? And if you have this conversation with people like from the Middle East or from India, like they're not, they're not going to, they're going to be like, yeah, I don't know how they do it. But then you go to like a, you know, old school toilet paper user, you know, and have this conversation. They're like, I don't get it. Mm. my baby no I don't want to talk about your baby and their wet wipes it's like the hardest thing is like when they look and you're like oh my baby and I'm like no it's not for babies <laughs> it's for adults yeah 
Um, and one of the, the things, this is like, again, uh, hot off the press, but uh, we're working on bringing on our advisory board a colorectal surgeon. And I've spoken to a few now. And like the speed at which this person got to the product was like you could give you whiplash. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Done. You know what I'm saying? So I think the difference, and this is, again, about putting pressure on yourself, is like, okay, I know the product's great. Am I telling the story well enough? And then again, you're pointing the the, the gun at yourself. Do better. Tell the story better. How can you tell it better? Why are you not telling it better? You know, um, because... It's there. Like, to see a doctor that deals with these conditions just be like, yeah, so quickly, barely having to explain what the product does, was like a huge validation. Mm. I suppose as a founder, you have two routes. One, which is converting non-believers to your way of thinking. Mm. And two, just sticking at it and telling your story as genuinely Mm. as you can to those people who will be like, yes, I get it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, how do you get to those people Mm -hmm. who will be your supporters? Because as many things in life, we're so biased in our own perspectives that it's very hard for us to understand how another person's problem can be a problem. It's like, you know, if you don't experience it, it's very hard to put yourself into that person's shoes and then to see it as a grand scale. But then there's also the narrow-mindedness of, well, it's always been done this way. Mm. It's always been a taboo. Mm. It's going to continue being a taboo. Mm. So how is that even going to be overcome? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're searching for that right mindset. And it can be very yeah. frustrating when you're just meeting people who just don't get it. Yes. And one thing is that as part of kind of this uh, me realizing that I hadn't of the, what, what was it? Was it like play, uh, work, and the, the people? No, method, play, and people, right? We said that I had been um, disregarding the people aspect mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur for too long. So somewhere late last year, I said, and and I've always been somebody who, did things on my own like I said I applied to my MBA without saying anyway my, my first job at Versace when I got it I didn't tell anyone I was interviewing until I got it um, I got my wedding dress fitted on my own which was probably not a good idea because then from the back it didn't look as good as I thought that's what you learn um, I, I'm like I do things on my own that's how you do it and then I was like that's not gonna work here like you need to spread out but with spreading out comes like knocking on a lot of doors that are just not going to open and having to really put yourself out there and learn, you know, there's almost, it's almost like to succeed, you have to know people, certain people don't want to talk to you unless you're successful. And so you have to be constantly like, how do you deal with that? Because it's like, I'm a headhunter. So on the candidate side, I've kind of resigned myself. Well, yeah, I'll have to speak to 100 people to get, you know, five for mm. a shortlist. Mm-hmm. You know, majority of the people are either going to, you know, not respond to you, reject you in some way, mm. 
or they're not going to be right either. So for that side, it's like, it's fine. But when it comes to business development, mm. the process technically should be the same. Mm. For some reason, like mentally, mm. I haven't really broken through it. And it's like, oh, you know, just almost having this higher expectation that everyone or 90% of people should like you. So how do you deal with rejection and not being understood? It's really tough. It's really tough. You have to just uh, build a thick skin. Um, keep, I think one of the things is not let it uh, cut into your identity. So not being like, it didn't work. Because, like I said, I need to change. I need to be more like this. And and just say like this, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm going to get passionate. I switch into Italian. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hand, too. Yeah. 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 So it's like at one point you're like, listen, uh, you know, I can only be what I am to an extent and I think you one thing that was wrong in my approach of building the startup was that I felt like I was planting one seed and watching the tree grow now I'm planting seeds every day every day you have 15 minutes spare couple coffee Open LinkedIn, open an email, open something, a text message, follow up, get in touch. Uh, maybe also, I mean, LinkedIn is a super powerful tool. Show a little bit more about yourself. Um, but that was a skill that I didn't have. And still, when you, and sorry, uh, <laughs> Worse than rejection, indifference. Yes. Rejection is respect. If you respect me, you're going to take two minutes out of your day to say, I'm not too interested. I don't want to have a conversation. I don't have time for a coffee. Indifference means you don't, you don't like me maybe, but you don't even respect me. And for me, that's as an Italian, respect is important. Like pride, like uh, and I, I also try, we get, as a business, we get like cold emailed a lot, like every day. And sometimes I just try to like sit down and be like, hey, I'm really sorry. But, you know, just to, to be like, listen, I don't do it all the time. I'm guilty of that. You know, time is short. But like I think about, I, I have built so much empathy for somebody who is taking the time to message you. And whenever the message looks slightly like this person wrote it As opposed to, a to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I will take the time. So even if they've never spoken to you before and they just reach out out of the blue... I mean, I don't want to promise things that I can't yeah. uh, that I can't maintain because one time I watched a podcast and somebody said that and I messaged and I was like, oh my god, I saw you on this podcast, <laughs> and, like, and then they didn't respond. In your inbox in the morning. <laughs> ah! Yeah. So, um, so I'm like, I'm not promising anything, but when I feel like, and it could be, you know, it could be anything that that it looks to me like this person is like trying to hustle, and we're all trying to hustle. And you just, you know, took three minutes to, to ping me in my yeah. inbox. I 
will try to say like hey thank you maybe not right now but like let's stay in touch yeah i i totally i totally feel you when you say indifference it hurts like mm. being a headhunter and being ghosted mm. it hurts it doesn't hurt for me if it's an initial you know email because you're probably sending out quite a lot of those and I kind of take the same approach for others you know there's lots of automated stuff that comes through to you and it's actually unmanageable it's just it's at this point where it's like it's unmanageable to respond to it the more mm -hmm. and even to some candidates that I would love to but it's just like the volume is just too mm -hmm. great but what pains me so say for example you know I've met someone mm -hmm. I put a proposal together mm -hmm. it looks like it's going ahead and then nothing not an answer or anything you've had you've invested in this person they've asked you specifically to do something mm -hmm. and then they don't respond then that hurts that mm -hmm. really stings and for me it's like you know sometimes you get busy you know you've asked for a proposal from someone maybe you don't have enough time to mm -hmm. do that project or whatever and it's like no i have to force myself like this person is going to be chasing me it's on their mind like unless i come back to them and just say look it's 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 not gonna go ahead mm -hmm, mm -hmm. put them out of their misery mm. put me out of mm -hmm. my misery like, yeah so yeah, yeah absolutely totally. yeah you just gotta i mean every day every day it's a day of learning every day is a rejection day as well i mean <laughs> like as an entrepreneur like you're just constantly dealing with that listen i, I was talking about this with ellie the other day and we had had, I say we had had a week, every week is a week, but within the same day, you could get three wins, two shitograms, <laughs> one thing goes wrong at the warehouse. Like, so I think it's also about saying, okay, this is what I talk about planting seeds. The good habit about continuously putting things out there is that yeah that one was rotten the next day some someone responds something happens somebody and and when somebody does uh, this is like something that really for me matters that we have been surrounded especially since i've kind of worked a bit more on on the outreach by amazing people that out i mean obviously everybody the theory is like everybody does even kindness is a selfish emotion because it makes you feel better in a way. Mm -hmm. But if we don't go into uh, unboxing that too much, people who have been so generous, um, thoughtful and kind and human to us that I have a faith in, in humanity, maybe more than I've ever had. Um, recently and then people who have been really shit you know mm -hmm. it's just um but overall i think the scale evens out positively hmm. i think it's you're so right about planting the seeds and i think at some point and this is something that i'm realizing as i'm getting older it's like you do your best you try to be as authentic to yourself as possible simultaneously trying to figure out what that authenticity actually is because quite often like there's so many layers that have been like 
put on you by society, by bosses, by mm-hmm. Instagram, by parents, by you know friends, of all these things that we should be and supposed to be, and trying to kind of like see through that, like who who are you? And as long as you show up and do the best that you can, mm-hmm. planting those seeds. Mm-hmm you will get to reach the people who share those values and ideas and somehow you just have to disregard the ones that don't and focus more on the ones that do. Yeah, yeah. And it's not so much that people don't believe in your vision. It's about giving more respect and time and appreciations for the ones that do absolutely and i can't remember who said that but that was so powerful to me we have to disregard the non-believers and focus on the people who really believe in your mission and your values Mm -hmm. because those are gold dust absolutely absolutely um I totally agree. And I think everybody listens to their bad reviews. Um, but that's just like a, a kind of toxic tendency to be like, you can have, you know, 10 good experiences, interactions. Then there's one bad one and that's the one you remember. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a mental process to force yourself to feel gratitude. Um, and a lot of the time when I'm feeling is ungrateful towards humanity, <laughs> which is a misanthropy, I, I, I already have a misanthropic tendencies to begin with. But when I start feeling that I'm getting to a little bit too like a, a old man yelling at the birds from his porch, um, I think about my customers and the messages that they send us and sometimes we'll send a newsletter and we're a small company. So all the newsletters I'm involved in to some extent, some of them I write, some of them I have somebody help write and I, I, I check them and we'll be like, we did this, we're doing, it. and they'll be like, well done guys. We're cheap. And it's just like, these people are, are so lovely mm-hmm. and you know, a fair amount of them too. And then I'm like, you know, there, there's good out there. And, and we, 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 we are in touch with it. So just leave the bad things well, if you can. You're solving a real problem. And it's good to have that validation from the customers because ultimately the business is for them. And yeah. they're the ones who really are grateful to the yeah. product. and yeah. I mean, all the pain that you have to go through I've, to I've, make it happen. Yeah, I've gotten messages that almost like moved me mm-hmm. of, you know, some people who it has made a real difference for. And you're like, this is really something. It's really something. And somebody took time out of their day to let me know, which they don't have to. Yeah. Um, and that means means a lot to me. I got to know you today, mm. Georgia, very mm. well. <laughs> I feel like, I'm, as I was saying to you before, I feel like I'm talking to some sort of alternative mm. version of myself in terms of the life experiences that maybe we have had mm. and the way that we approach things when under stress mm. or just like, like, I will not give up. I will oh, just yeah. keep on going. Mm-hmm. And 
I wish you all the very mm. success in your business because I think what you're doing mm. is actually changing people's <laughs> lives, even though it's such a taboo topic and you've taken on a huge, huge challenge. And I believe that with all of the experiences that you've had and your life story, you understand and you have those qualities to push through those taboos to make it work. And so my last question is, mm -hmm. what seems impossible to you now, mm -hmm. but should you achieve it will change the course of your life or your business? Perhaps, I mean, that's arrogant. Nothing seems impossible of the things that I want. So if I told you I'm going to be a billionaire, that was never something that I, I'm setting for myself. What I'm setting for myself is all achievable in my mind. And that is keep learning, keep evolving myself, keep touching interesting things and contaminating myself with new interesting things while having time to walk the dog, kiss my husband goodnight and enjoy the sunlight shining through the trees. Like, that's it. That's all I want. And none of it is unachievable. So my goals are pretty, I hope, realistic. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You kind of hit the nail on the head talking about walking the dog and, you know, kissing your husband at night mm -hmm. and like not forgetting those very small things that we just take for granted mm -hmm. amongst all of this other big things and trying to do it all. <laughs> mm -hmm. but that's, that's it. That's it. I mean, and I think if you have, if you have the component do something you enjoy, but do it hard. Put yourself into it. Improve yourself. Make time for the things that matter. Then you're already succeeding. You already have everything. So I'm just going to keep doing that. <laughs> keep doing that. I'm just going to keep doing that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank okay. you. I had a lot of fun, strange conversation. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you so much for joining me here on Anatomy of a Leader. What did you discover in this episode? I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments on YouTube or reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe or follow buttons and I'll see you next week.